Welcome to Media Roots Radio. This is Robbie Martin. And this is Abby Martin. Uh, this is our second podcast. Within a week, we, we promised that we'd do a follow-up, and here we are. Um, a lot to get into today. Hope everyone had a good holiday. Hope everyone's gearing up to the new year with a positive outlook on life, because there's a lot of great things to be excited about, a lot of amazing things going on in the world. Um, one of the things that my brother and I have been talking about a lot over the last week is 3D printing. Um, he's kind of cleared up some misconceptions about 3D printing for me, and I just wanted him to talk about it a little bit because it's really awesome. Robbie, you want to? Yeah. Um, well, first, I, I took I take issue with you referring to the season as a holiday because <laughs> so I don't know Christ. if you meant it, but that, you know, I'm a really strong proponent of Christmas and the celebration of the birth of Jesus. And I just find it really offensive that um, you wouldn't properly refer to it as Christmas and the birth of, birth of our Lord and Savior. The liberal media, Abby, you've joined forces with the liberal media. The liberal and you're, media. You're, you're part of the war on Christmas. The liberal media. Um, oh, wait, I have something really funny. Yeah, what? Um, and uh, I know our Uncle Pat doesn't will probably listen to our uh, podcast. Um, but uh, you know how the Conan O'Brien does the um, the Easter Bunny? He's got yeah, a spring yeah, in yeah. his te- If anybody hasn't seen this, Conan O'Brien does a really excellent like collage of basically a s- scripted segments on all these local news affiliates like cut together like a hundred clips of all the- them saying the exact same stupid scripted phrase over and over and over again and uh, my uncle pat our uncle pat posted a link to it and his status update with the link was conan o'brien exposing the the scripted nature of the liberal media what and I almost posted on his Facebook wall and said, like, don't you mean just the media? Oh, my God. That's in so general? sad. It, isn't it fascinating, though, that they, where they think that all media that doesn't isn't lockstep with their beliefs is liberal media. It's just really odd because it's not liberal at all in reality. It's just right. like not generically right wing conservative. Right. And I'm sorry, but MSNBC is not liberal. It's democratic. It's like yeah. pushing an establishment line that's also warmongering and corporate profiteering. How is that liberal whatsoever? It's a Democratic Party arm, just like Fox News right. is a Republican Party arm. It's um, it's controlled dissent. It's like manufactured consent trying to push this two-party paradigm on us and it fucking works. I mean, I cannot believe that he would say that. And even yeah. that guy who I just had on the show talking about Obama, you know, kind of stealing a trillion dollars in all these small business contracts instead of giving them to small businesses, he's giving them a fortune 500 companies, the administration. Of course, this is going on past just any democratic administration. I mean, this is going on for decades, Mm -hmm. but he just seemed to think it was all Obama. And then at the end of the interview, I was just like, well, you know, how, why is the media not talking about this? He's like, well, the liberal media doesn't want to criticize Obama. Mm -hmm. And I was like, uh, I mean, to be honest, for anybody listening out there, if you still believe in this concept of the liberal, liberal media, you need to get out outside of your bubble because it is a manufactured concept designed by the Republican party to make Republicans feel as if they're victim being victimized. Mm-hmm. It's not a real thing. And I think probably the funniest, the smartest thing Stephen Colbert ever said was, I think he actually said it during that Bush, um, Bush white, like dinner at the white house mm-hmm. thing. He said that reality is known to have a liberal bias. <laughs> That's really funny. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just absurd. I mean, it's not even worth really talking right. about, but it right. just makes me sad that people who are 
into all the alternative media movement and who are like separated from the whole mainstream media, you know, brainwashing thing still believe in that concept and actually transpose it on like corporate funded media, thinking that it actually has a political persuasion when it is 99% dictated by profit. Right. And if you consider capitalism, a liberal ideal, then you are completely just, you need to like do more research and educate yourself. <laughs> You know, it's that's why it's so weird when people are like, you know, Obama's a socialist. He's a he's this extreme liberal. It's like, well, does that mean big banks are socialist? Because that's who Wall Street funded his campaign more than any other president in history. The only thing that makes sense about the socialism argument, if they're looking at corporate welfare, yeah, corporate socialism. I mean, that's literally the only thing. That's a completely different kind of socialism. I don't think they're even talking about that. They're not. They're referring to again the divide and conquer tactic of of making it seem like you've got yours you you're well off you've worked hard for what you earn and all these other people are trying to steal from you through, I, the, I, through um handouts i, and I just welfare. want to say one thing about I, I know i say this all the time but in terms of social welfare and you know quote-unquote freeloaders and all these people just constantly harping on social services and how like people are on welfare i mean mm-hmm. if you could just put this into perspective i think the welfare it's like $300 a month for a family who needs it. Um, I just want people to really put into perspective the financial looting that's going on on a federal level with Wall Street and banks and the rigging that's inherently within the system, built in. Trillions of dollars in derivatives trading, trillions of dollars in looting daily basis. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just don't understand even like the the need to keep harping on something that's so minute mm-hmm. compared to like the reality of, of the bigger picture. And if we could all just kind of realize what's going on, yeah. then no one would really care about one person abusing the system. I mean, I, of yeah. course there's abuse going on in every federal system. That's, that's, it's just not worth discussing right now. Like we have bigger fish to fry here. No. And I find it, I find it pretty hilarious too, that the end of this argument for a lot of, generic Republican people is that when you talk about enforcing more regulations or more stringent standards on corporations, the same corporations that literally just break the law and, and you know, pillage and, and steal money, those same corporations, they always like, well, yeah, good luck trying to like tax them more or put more regulations on them because guess what? Those taxes will just be passed on to the consumer. Have you heard that? No, yeah, point? yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah. is like the most egregiously dumb talking point I've ever heard in my life. So it's like, so we shouldn't raise the minimum wage because we're scared of the talking point pushed by corporations that they'll be forced to raise prices? When it's completely not true. Competitions, I mean, corporations compete with each other and there's there's no, it just doesn't even make sense that all of a sudden like the price of goods or certain goods would be raised because of extra government regulations. They can't do that. Their market, their market value is determined by the like the people buying their goods. So if, if all of a sudden their goods get more expensive, people right, won't demand, buy them. It's, de- it's in demand. It just doesn't yeah. make any sense. It's so it's such a bizarre defer. It's like a deferring to the um, 
that power of corporations where it's just like, yeah, well, they'll just tax us. It will just, it'll just be passed on to us. So can't tax them more. Well, and here, it's what's very even, strange to me. What's also really strange is the inherent trust in corporations, yet people are so distrustful of the government as this parental figure. I understand. I don't trust the government mm-hmm. at all. However, I don't trust corporations. We're living in a corporatocracy where corporations control the state. The state has become merely a tool of the corporatocracy. So why would we trust what's above the government right now? It doesn't I just make don't any understand sense. that argument. No, it doesn't. It's and it's really it is really fascinating to me how the main pillar of libertarianism that became like sort of popularized is that as that pillar that like the free market you can put your trust and faith into the free market, you know? And 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 let's say like meat is recalled, or I'm sorry, not recalled because there wouldn't be any federal testing of it. Let's just say meat's like toxic and gets sent out by a meat packing industry. Thousands of people will die. And I guess that's just part of the market. We're just casualties of the market because until that point, no one's going to stop buying the meat until they see like mass die off. So is that what needs to happen in a free market where people just like die? Well, that's the thing. It's like, let's assume, let's assume that that's true, that, that in the free market with no government regulation, a meat packing company sends out like a thousand units of E. coli tainted meat, you know, um, and like a bunch of people die. What is more likely to happen that people will be outraged at this and the news will report on it fairly and justly and expose this company or in a free market with no regulations that this same company would use their buying power to buy out PR, PR agencies to stifle any negative coverage about it and to just make people forget it just like every other company does now anyways i mean do people not eat at mcdonald's and jack in the box anymore after they had all those e coli deaths no people still eat their every Mm -hmm. their their stock nothing these companies don't even when they do do things like that it doesn't matter it's just it's almost like it is a completely false circular argument to think that people will not buy something from a company that's like producing lower quality goods when corporations own like millions that's of not different how, they're yeah. like umbrellas now of hundreds of subsidiaries that i even me researching this shit on a daily basis i couldn't even tell you i mean the hundreds of companies that are under yeah monsanto or nestle or any of this stuff and i hate nestle and i hate monsanto but i'm probably still buying from them because i don't walk around at the fucking chart telling me and i'm not every time i'm buying an item i'm not looking at this chart and saying well let me just make sure that that every ingredient on here is not owned by some like evil corporation that's not the way the world works it's a pipe dream that they that they present this model of people of like the buy the power of the consumer and that and like bad companies that produce bad goods and like cause harm to the planet or the people will be run out of business simply by the market that doesn't make any sense it's also putting a lot more faith into people that i don't think we're ready like we don't have it doesn't it just doesn't make logical sense because the most powerful entity will win regardless of what what people are doing and people, and and how they can will we buy good press they and how buy, will they prevent monopolies from forming because power consolidation happens when there is less regulation that's when we've seen like the mm-hmm. banking when banking was deregulated under clinton that's when we see saw all of the the totally risky bets and all the banks yeah. making all these like bets off our money and then of course i mean of course the bailout was not 
<laughs> not anything to do with the free market, but I'm just saying that monopolies form when regulations are lifted. So I don't understand how we could prevent giant corporate monopolies if we just magically get rid of government. It's just a very odd No, I mean, theory. it's just another, there, I mean, the, the, the fact of it is, is that it would be equally as bad. I mean, maybe the only, you know, like fun or like positive thing that would come out of no government regulation is just like more goods and services that are now illegal being like sold right. by corporations. But imagine how weird that would be if Camel, you know, cigarettes or like RJ Reynolds started releasing like spliffs, you know, like marijuana with tobacco joints, like at stores and stuff. I mean, I guarantee you they're already waiting for that to happen. They've already probably even designed the packaging and stuff mm -hmm. for it already. They're just like waiting to flip the switch. But. And at least, at least, and I, I, I hate to defer back to government, because I don't trust government, I can't stress that enough, but at least with government, there is a mechanism involved that if we were to flood the fucking streets, millions of us, we could push them out of power today. If if millions of us went to DC, mm -hmm. 25 million people, 100 million people, yeah. we can completely take over the government. That's At least we have that option, even though it's illusory yeah. for the most part. Corporations are completely operating outside of any yeah. constitutional law. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're obviously we know that they're totally like have 100% impunity to do whatever the hell they want around the globe. Um, environmental pollution, whatever, slave labor. I mean, they don't have a constitution to abide by. They don't have a citizenry to force them out of power if need be. They would just move elsewhere. And they don't even have at the heart of them anybody who's fully accountable all they have is see the highest people in corporations are the CEOs and the and the top stockholders. And ultimately, none of them are individually liable for anything the corporation does. That, I mean, if you go back to, um, I think it was in F Bowling for Columbine, or maybe maybe it was in the big one, one of Michael Moore's mm -hmm. like middle period movies. He plays this like old 1950s like film reel, educational film reel about why you should incorporate even if you're just like a partnership because if you're like a partnership and you want to incorporate what that means for you is that you are no longer longer liable for anything the company does right legally speaking if you're a partnership with someone and your company breaks the law you could go to jail you're actually held legal but if you incorporate you are no longer legally accountable it's almost like a free pass to basically just defer, you know, the legal liability to like not, it's it's very interesting actually that that's sort of at the heart of it. That is the main difference between like a partnership and a corporation business. Wow. Is that the responsibility is not the, the proprietor of the company anymore. That's sort of why like, you know, you hear of certain corporations like, you know, we're going to talk about this a little later, but like Pierre, um, what's his last oh, name? Omidyar. Yeah, he, the fact that he co-founded eBay, but you know he still sits on the board. But he's like not the CEO of eBay. Mm -hmm. He's not even really like directly involved in their day to day. He just sort of, you know, like the guy who started this, helped start this company, is just not even really involved at this point. You know, he just sort of probably just still makes money off of it. But yeah, it is. It is just really interesting how it's. It's like either you're for or against corporations or you're for socialism or against... It's just such... It just doesn't give anybody any room to be premise, critical yeah. thinking, thinkers. It's just... Um, 
It why can't you distrust both and not be labeled an anarchist? Yeah, like, a, why can't we or both? Or a statist. <laughs> yeah. or, and I remember like, yeah, it's like, I remember when I was, you know, younger and more naive, I would try to talk to some of my like friends. Like I, I have one, uh, a friend of mine who got an economics um, major at uh, UC Santa Cruz. And, um, you know, when I would talk about the problems with uh, certain problems with capitalism with him, he would get this very intense, like knee jerk response and go like, well, what do you, are you just, what are you saying? Are you saying you prefer communism? Oh my God. It's like, no, the world is not black and white. Like you can have discussions about the inherent problems in certain philosophies without jumping to the, like the polar opposite philosophy. You know, it's just strange to me that everything is just trapped in these little boxes. It's, it makes it really hard to have a discussion with, you know, most people about these subjects you know and uh i just hope that we as a society evolve out of this and stop letting think tanks partisan um, political people and just like generic you know people who are into divide and conquer like divide and conquer us right because we ultimately have the power and the more that we're divided and like you know, brainwashed by feeling like we have to go on one side or the other. And that could go for anything to being loyal to one particular person in the 9-11 truth movement to another mm-hmm. or being loyal to communism or loyal to capitalism. These lines in the sand are causing a lot of damage to our ability to rally up the troops, the troops being us, and actually cause a significant groundswell of energy to fight the government absolutely there's no they're they're not helping in any way to do that and before we get into the main divide and conquer thing going on right now um let's talk really quickly about i wanted to mention one thing uh, about the system um capitalism as it stands right now there's something that i've been learning about a lot lately structural violence like let's say a pharmaceutical company has a monopoly on a patent for HIV AIDS cure or not cure, but I mean the medicine that, you know, you can live with, with AIDS. Now you can, you can live till the day you die 80 years old and and have the virus and manage it. And that's what these drugs are able to do. Um, They're very expensive and there's, uh, there's pharmaceutical companies that have monopolies on the patents and they refuse to give up the patents for for cheaper brands so they could save millions of lives. I mean, when does it get to a point where you say, is that a crime? Is it a crime to withhold life-saving medicine? Like, let's say someone is in front of you in the street just dying of thirst and you're just you just have a giant jug of water and you're just chugging it in front of them and you just like pour it out right in front of their face and just watch them die. Um, that's, you're not killing them, but you have the capability to save their lives and you don't, um, is, is that a crime? Is that a crime? I mean, these are the, the fundamental philosophical questions that we should be asking ourselves about the inherent corruption within capitalism as it's morphed into, there's no going back to how capitalism should be. Mm -hmm. The free market is a fucking pipe dream. Um, we just need to move forward from here and realize that there is a lot of things structurally, even even just uh, economic inequality. I mean, when when you're in prison, let's say if you're African American, you're already you know mm-hmm. more inclined to be end up in prison because if you look at statistics, that's the way it is. These neighborhoods are over policed, over criminalized. So you have people, you know, they're stop and frisked. So let's say you you end up in prison because if you're an African American male. 
without a high school degree, you're more likely to end up in prison than are to get a job in this country. So let's say you go to prison, you're in there for five years for stealing a fucking loaf of bread or something, or or maybe maybe uh, life. You know how like they have those mandatory- Oh, the three strikes. Yeah, the three strikes yeah. laws or like the minimum sentencing and all that shit. Like, so let's say you you go to prison for something totally arbitrary, you get out. It's almost impossible for you to be- inserted back in the system and have a productive life. Is that structural violence? Is that something inherently wrong with the system where we're giving these people no chance to be functioning members of society and to do productive things? Mm -hmm. You know, it's already like, that's just rigged. The game's rigged for these people from the very beginning. And I, we just have to start asking ourselves like the deeper context of what's going on because nothing happens in a vacuum. And I'm really sick of just hearing all these analyses like bigoted and and racist um, without understanding like why things are the way they are. Yeah. Or just even like, you know, you're talking about the structural violence to just like humanity. And then, and then there's other angles of it too, like stifling creativity and, um, and the evolution of technology and development. Like, companies like apple um they based some of their entire first quote unquote innovations off of like a showcase that the, the company xerox was doing where they allowed all these independent and startup companies to come in and look at all this sort of new demonstration technology and apple took all those ideas and and patented them and used them basically to start os the the mac os the mouse um all these different things that basically stole from all these kernels of ideas that Xerox had. And yet now Apple is one of the most aggressive patent, um, like, uh, what's the word? Like prospectors out there. Like if anybody is, you, like they patent a ton of shit and they don't use most of it. Like mm -hmm. it's just, it just patented. Like Samsung got sued and they actually lost for some of these patents that when you read the patents, they seem like really obvious, very general things that you wouldn't, shouldn't even really be allowed to patent, you know, like swiping gestures on a touchscreen mm -hmm. and things like that. And uh, Apple spent all this money and, and lawyer power to basically like sue Samsung and try to block them from releasing all this stuff. And, you know, Creative Labs is another company. They're, Creative Labs actually invented the MP3 player before wow. any other company did. But yet you don't hear about you know, they don't have an, a product like the iPod or anything like that. You probably can't even name what Creative Labs came up with. But what they did was they actually made a lot of their money and spent a lot of energy since they were the first manufacturer of the MP3 player. They made sure that they patented aspects of it that would be like very open-ended in general. So what they did was they found out, and I don't know if they sent corporate spies in or what, but they found out other companies they were trying to make mp3 players as well and they would sort of secretly in the background follow their development like these other companies development of these mp3 players and then right before these other companies are about to launch their product they would send them a lawsuit so it was like they almost like let them waste all this time knowing the whole time that they had a patent infringement lawsuit that they could level on them and they basically would stop these companies from releasing their products after years of research and development had gone into them that's really to me what defines the corporate world more than anything else you know right. it's not about pushing humanity forward it's not about giving people what they want it's about making money and shutting down competition in ways that if you described it to a normal person they would think that it was either illegal highly unethical or just really just kind of downright evil the well, way yeah, that these I companies 
try to stop you know the flow of information and, and new products are coming out i mean it's- well look at what you know when people say that this capitalism and the free market as it stands today and as it's evolved has given us like the best of everything that could possibly be available that's not true if that were true then we would have sustainable things because that would be the best yeah. possible things that are available are actually sustainable with the environment and not like raping and destroying the planet. No, yeah, like when I and I and I remember when you were having a discussion with somebody about this, they mentioned all the cell phones and gadgets we have, and I'm just thinking, is that really helping people in a long term sense, or is that just fostering more of like a narcissistic, um, like? you know, self-pleasuring, almost masturbatory. It's like, if you really think about it, yes, I mean, they're fun. And admittedly, I love using smartphones. I love using computers. But yeah, they're not, they aren't creating a sustainable model that actually helps humanity as as a whole. I mean, in certain ways it does, but ultimately it just serves to create pleasure for yourself right you know it's it's the ego it's it's driven by the ego and every we've we've been conditioned into thinking that we need one of every single item in the fucking planet and of course all these corporations if you think that planned obsolescence is a myth it's not i mean these corporations have the new the a model 10 versions from now ready I mean, they want you to buy the newest version. They keep, they want you to keep buying the newest one every year after year. They're designed to break down. They don't recycle. It's completely unsustainable in the larger scheme of things. And this is one thing that I actually really like about Jacques Fresco about the Venus Project, which he he kind of brings up this. He posits this theory that why can't we have things like lawnmowers, like something that you don't need. Like maybe like once a month, you're going to use your lawnmower. Uh-huh. Like that would be like something as part of like a community library where you can go like rent out these appliances or something that you totally don't need your mm-hmm. own version of. And it's just an interesting philosophy about how we've just, we just need like one of everything. We like totally don't share anything well, with think about anyone. how funny that, especially that analogy is that's a really good, very practical thing to suggest. But yet, you know, you can kind of see the startup of like the you know, the, the, the making the American dream at post-World War II era, what was like one of the most iconic pieces of imagery about post-World War II? Conserve was like, rubber. Well, no, like suburbia. Oh, right, right, right. And lawns, your front lawn and mowing your own lawn. It was like this right. whole thing. I mean, you even go back to the roots of, um, of Al-Qaeda uh, and Zawahiri, uh, the guy that he was inspired by, I forgot his name, but that was one of the main things that he saw in American culture is like a fundamental um, disease, like that people were so proud of their front lawn and would wow. mow their lawn. And I mean, yeah, and he had a lot of other fucked up beliefs about women and, and you know, and obviously I'm not Islamic or Muslim, but that in of itself, I could see that. I mean, I could understand his point of view that that is a really disgusting sort of physical example of our narcissism and just our shift towards total egomaniacal. I got mine. Look at my lawn. Mm -hmm. Look at me mow my lawn. You know, it's just such a weird thing. And and what uh, my house is bigger than yours. I mean, my cock is bigger than yours. Yeah. 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 (laughs) I mean, I mean, my cock is bigger than yours has been like a, you know, going back to the beginning of man, but like, yeah, it's like, it's just an extension of that. And how amazing is it is that you're saying that that was in the post-World War II era. And, and, and when I brought up the conservation of rubber thing, it's just, I, 
iconic of how even back then with the narcissistic drive to have this suburban takeover and the white flight, you know, out of the inner cities and all that stuff. Even then they were telling people during war, let's all band together, plant victory gardens, conserve your rubber because it wasn't about shopping and fucking buying shit. Mm-hmm. Just like after 9-11, Bush said, go buy stuff, open Wall Street. Yeah. Um, otherwise the terrorists win. I mean, God, just think back, like back then it was still really toxic in terms of like the the progression of where this country was going. But look at now, that's the response of when, you know, you know, we were attacked. That's that's what we're mm-hmm. told to do by the president of the yeah. United States is to go buy items. Because mm-hmm. it's a trickle-down economy, Abby. Right, because that's economics. worked real yeah. well. Which is funny, too, because his father <laughs> referred to that model that Reagan's trickle-down economics philosophy as voodoo economics. Like he, D-O-O economics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Voodoo economics. And Ferris Bueller. He's seen Ferris Bueller. You know what I'm talking about. I mean, I mean, essentially, that is a completely debunked it is as asinine as saying that you can't tax corporations because the taxes will be passed on to you. Well, it's do, it's do, just such a weird it, th- deferment to the power. It's like almost like treating corporations like they're this well, god. Well, all you have to look at is, is the wealth hoarding. How could you possibly think that anyone would anything would trickle down when you look at the insane trillions of dollars being hoarded in offshore bank accounts? Trillions. I'm talking yeah. about like literally like. I want to say like $30 trillion. This is actually a Project Censored censored story from last year. Everyone go to Project Censored and check out their top 25 censored stories. There is the trillions being hoarded from the financial elite, the 0.1% of the world. So if anyone thinks that money's magically going to be trickled down if more are given to the rich is absolutely fallacious and totally false. Proven. Mm -hmm. I mean, why else has income inequality is the highest since the Great Depression. I mean, I just don't understand why does it get more concentrically hoarded year after year if that's true. It's just fucking ridiculous. So we just went off on a huge tangent, but let's go back to 3D printing, which is what I originally wanted to talk about because it is, I think, I'm convinced and after talking to you that I think it's the biggest advent in technology since the internet and could potentially revolutionize the planet. Um, going back to what we were saying about, and I, and I want you to take over in a second, but going back to what we were saying about how we don't need like one item of everything and how the corporatocracy has, has conditioned us into this narcissistic drive of like needing every single item in, on the planet, one of everything we got ours, you know, you, you pick yourself up by your bootstraps mentality. Well, 3d printers, if all goes well, um, people will completely, I mean, this, this could completely totally fuck up that plan because people could eventually just print whatever they want in the privacy of their own home. Household goods. Um, the first 3D printed liver was just printed today, by the way. Wow. Yeah, I mean, it's... I think people who aren't really familiar with the technology, um, it's hard to grasp really why it's going to be so revolutionary. I mean, and it already has been revolutionary sort of happening in the background. And most people have heard of 3d printing probably the first time based on that 3d printed gun that that guy made. Mm -hmm. Um, and it became really controversial and all that stuff. But I mean, basically the, the 3d printing revolution, um, once 3D printers become cheap enough or once they're like 
for public use, like places have 3D printers that you can go in and just like do like one-offs on them. Um, it's going to fundamentally change things in a big way. And right now you can get a 3D printer that's about a grand um, that can print, uh, you know, decent quality not like perfect not not like fabricated in a you know in a vacuum mold factory quality but like pretty close to professional quality like plastic fabricated items you know made entirely from scratch for less than a grand um you can probably get a printer like this and uh but the, but the crazy thing is they have printers already that are out there's a company called Sculptio online that just opened an office in San Francisco that you can send in. All you do is you send in a 3D model. That This is the highest learning curve of 3D printing is you have to basically make a 3D model to give to it. And like even for someone like me, uh, you know, who's familiar with this technology, it's very difficult to make like a good 3d model like it it's very it has a very high learning curve it's kind of like a art in and of itself to learn how to do it but the interesting thing about that even is that there is like a huge public domain library online of pre-existing 3d models already of like pretty much any ob mm -hmm. like normal object you can think like of. open source open source um architecture you know scans of real places um um, and then also like with something like an Xbox Connect, um, which you can get for like a hundred bucks, you can actually do your own sort of home 3D scanning. So you can say wow. make an object. So you can render a 3D. You can make an object out of clay or something, you know, say right. if you, like this is how they do movie props. Like when they're like, like right now, probably some of the most like, like complicated and in-depth, but small run manufacturing are done through like movie prop departments where they'll start with a clay model, they'll fabricate like, you know, like a monster for a movie out of clay, you know, based off of a drawing. And then once the, you know, the director of the movie or whatever likes this, the monster design, they'll 3D scan that design of like a little statuette into a computer and then they'll make, you know, a model or a creature in the computer or if, say if they want to make um, like a latex makeup for someone, they'll, they'll use that you know that clay model and then they'll use sort of that as a as a basis to make a mold out of and then they'll pour a cast well with something like 3d printing if you already have a computer model of something and you've are, or you've already scanned something you can go just directly to the manufacturing stage and actually make it exactly as it appears in the computer like down to the finest detail talk about why the, th the 3d gun thing is mostly fear-mongering the plastic gun well I mean, the reason I think it's fear-mongering is because, I mean, the it's just like anything else. It's like a, it's like a really powerful tool that can make pretty much anything. So, I mean, if it can make a gun, that's almost just a testament to like how powerful the technology is overall to like what other things it can produce. And you were saying that people can make plastic guns right now if they wanted to. Well, people can make yeah wooden i mean you can make a wooden gun i mean if you really knew your shit you can go and and actually make one out of metal i mean you it's just it's like and i think what the news was trying to do with that story is they were trying to sort of show like anyone could 3d print a gun i mean maybe eventually that'll be the case but i mean you'll still need to buy bullets for it i mean it's like it's not 
I, I, I just don't I just don't really see it as like a notable thing about it because it's just like you can 3D print anything. I mean, you could 3D print like a knife if you wanted to or this something. Is, this is the part that really blew my mind. Let's talk about the fact that it can democratize production and also the fact that, you know, all these corporations that use slave labor and stuff, like let's use the example that you told me about a box. Let's say that you want to print, I'm sorry, let's just look at like a, a really ornately printed box with a lot of crevices and carvings that you would buy maybe like at a market, like a wooden box painted ornately with different carvings. Mm -hmm. You know, think of how many hands that's passed through. Think of how many resources you need. The carving, um, the the labor, uh, the, the paint, mm -hmm. all of that. And now talk about, and, and also there's like holes and stuff in the box. And then talk about how, just kind of like the flip side of how, what printing does. Well, yeah, the interesting thing about 3D printing that, it's it's kind of obvious once you understand how the technology and the in the like the raw materials work, but in normal manufacturing, when you produce say like a you know like a box with a bunch of designs carved into it or like embedded in it or whatever, it's actually it's it's a it's a process that takes multiple stages and and more overall money and labor. So like if you make a cube, you know, you fabricate a cube in a factory and you want it to have a bunch of designs in it and really fancy carvings happening in it, that takes a lot more work and it's more expensive even from the manufacturing process. But for 3D printing, this is the interesting part about 3D printing, is actually the less material you use, uh, the cheaper and faster it is to print. So if you wanted to print a, just a straight cube on a 3D printer, you're actually using more material and taking more time than if you would have printed the same cube with a bunch of extremely in-depth in carvings in it and like holes and designs and little, you know, um, like garnish all over the box. Like that's actually cheaper. So that, that's the interesting part of 3D printing is that it's actually cheaper because you're using less material. And in any normal manufacturing process, you don't have that option really. You can't build things literally from the ground up. Like it's always, almost always in manufacturing, you're cutting away materials. You know, you're wasting essentially materials. So in that in that sense too, 3D printing is actually very resourceful. It's like you, you almost don't waste any material. It's only using what material exactly that it needs for the design that you put into it. Um, it's absolutely incredible. And like people, you were saying, you know, let, let's say that you can design really awesome jewelry and you can just print out jewelry. I mean, like all of these things, like artists can have such, you could just like level the playing field, just like the internet did to open source uh, file sharing and all that shit. Like you can open the playing field for anyone to become their own manufacturer of goods. Yeah. And it's, and it's really interesting to think too, that really simple, you know, there, there are some really simple ideas and designs out there that you know, people might, you know, think of in their head, but, um, you know, they don't either have the resources or the know-how or the money or even the knowledge of how to actually, like, bring their idea into fruition. You know, somebody might have this idea for a neat, um, you know, like, just for example, here's an example of, of something I'm talking about. Uh, I think the guy who made the... I forgot the name for it. It's like the 
it's like the thing you see a lot of people using for iPads and iPhones now to do point of sale. It's like a little credit card swipe machine. Square. So you can get a square thing and you could hook it up to your phone or, or iPad or whatever. Um, but people have found that Square, the little Square device, is actually very loose-fitting on top of an iPad or an iPhone. And some guy, um, some random guy online who probably, you know, I don't know anything about this guy, but but he, he came up with this idea to, to design a 3D model of this little plastic clip that went underneath the, the Square to actually make it rest very sturdily onto the iPhone. And he sells these little clips online and he makes like 800 bucks a month just selling these little plastic clips. And he makes them on a 3D printer. And it's something, and it's just something so simple, but ultimately really useful for people who are buying these square point of sale things and finding that they're very finicky and they don't, and they move around too much and they don't fit. So this guy's just like, why don't I just make this little wedge? And, and you know, without something like a 3D printer, it would have probably been. You have to rely on the company to eventually fix it. Or that, or you would, or like if somebody wanted to come up with that idea, you know, they'd probably have to, you know, get it professionally manufactured. And for something that small and really yeah. kind of insignificant, arguably insignificant, would that person ever have gone through those lengths to produce that? Mm -hmm. That's the thing with 3D printing that's interesting is that you can create, you can come up with an idea, an invention for something, you know. And immediately bring it into the into reality. It's amazing. And then sell it, you know, for relatively cheap. You were telling me, that, and it's also completely flawless. I mean, because think about it. it you depending were saying on that the, depending on the quality and the and right. the power of the three D printer, like the ones for under a grand that I'm that I was telling you about, those are not flawless, but they're pretty amazing still. Well, talk about it. Didn't you say that the U.S. military uses three D printers to print out like missile? Um, NASA uses. Oh, okay. Well, let me uh, let me backtrack a little bit to the idea that. So like consumer level 3D printers, when I say consumer level, I'm talking like under a grand or a grand 3D printers right now, almost all of them use what is essentially like a hot glue gun mm -hmm. style uh, tip that builds an object from the ground up using plastic, like sh corn sugar plastic, uh, plastic filament on a spool. So that's pretty much the main way you do it. And as you can imagine, even a computer controlled you know, thing that's being melted down and dropped into little droplets is not going to be 100% accurate. You're going to see the tessellation and the layers in the object, but it'll still be like very accurate, very impressive looking, mm -hmm. you know, even still. But, and you jump up the amount of money to like, you know, three grand, four grand, five grand. And this is just saying right now in time, right, right, all right. these kinds of technologies over time will become cheaper, right? inevitably. So you, you can get a, a 3D printer that's like three or four or five grand right now that uses actual resin to cast it. And that looks perfect. I mean, resin looks just as good quality as any like professional, you know, plastic manufacturing would look and vacuum molding or mold, you know, mold or whatever. Um, and that kind of 3D printing actually is a little more complicated. What it does is it uses um, a laser to basically cast resin layer by layer. And instead of like building the object from the bottom up, it lifts lifts the object out of like a resin bath, like liquid bath. Oh, whoa. And every, every layer of it is hit by a laser and it lifts it up every time the laser casts that wow. part of the object. 
So that's actually like sort of a mid-range, you know, pretty expensive 3D printer. But those objects look, I mean, they look, you know, like show, uh, like store quality, you know, um, objects. And then there's even another kind, and this is the kind of 3D printer that Sculptio uses. And with these kinds of 3D printers I'm about to talk about, you can use a bunch of different kinds of material, including like ceramic, um, gypsum, which is kind of almost like looks like sandstone, mm -hmm. um, metal, um, pretty much Steel. any object that we want to manufacture something out of. What they do is the, this company, Sculptio, has these really nice high-end 3D printers that use a laser to basically hit like a bed of pure powder of whatever material you want to print out of. So, so say you want to print something out of silver or aluminum or, or something like that. It's literally a bed of powdered silver and a laser is hitting only certain parts of the powdered silver that it's making the object out of. So as this object's being made, you can see time-lapse photography of it happening. It almost doesn't look like anything. Like it looks like a mess, kind of. Like it just looks like all this powder all over the place and the laser's <laughs> hitting random parts of it. But what happens is after it's all done, they use like an air hose or some kind of fan to basically blow away all the metal powder that wasn't hit with the laser. And what you're left with is like a perfectly molded, casted object. And they do. They use the same technique to do to print things up using um, gypsum or ceramic. And Sculptio, this company, it's still even relatively pricey to get like a piece of jewelry made out of a three D model. You send. Of course, them. this is so new. Like I think she showed us an example. It was like um, to get like this one ring. You know, you can. And this is the thing too. Like, there's so many people already doing this sort of democratized manufacturing that you can like custom order jewelry online that hasn't even been made yet that just one-offs you know like people have made ring designs and necklace designs and all this kind of stuff and then with 3d printing you could if a ring design is a ring size too small for you you just like you know on the website you're just like size up you know and then they just make it whatever your exact <laughs> ring size is i just keep thinking of star trek like because in star trek they keep saying like yeah consumerism almost destroyed our you know destroyed yeah, our planet and, and they're just like they just like push a button and it prints out like food and the replicator, <laughs> I mean, it's just yeah. so ridiculous and um, the replicator is so also all, always a um i remember when even when i was a when I was younger and I was a fan of Star Trek, it was always like a small point of contention for me with the show because there's so many situations where they could have used the replicators to, <laughs> do, chose to do something that like, you know, but they just didn't use it. <laughs> like if their phasers stop working, like yeah. why don't they replicate like, like a bunch of like machine out. guns <laughs> and just start like shooting people. But you were saying NASA actually uses 3D printing to print out their like some devices because it's completely flawless i mean there's like absolutely no room for human error well this is yeah that's the interesting thing someone we so we so Lori and i went to this 3d printing like workshop where people were you know a bunch of people had questions it was the first time most of these people had been exposed to it the first time i had really been exposed to the technology and when he started describing the metal process and started showing these videos of the little layers being etched into this metal powder you know some guy was like you know how 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 could that possibly be there's no way that that's stronger than like a metal cast you know like forging something or you know pouring molten metal into a cast right. making it because it's like when you look at it 
it just you have your brain has a hard time understanding how building something layer by layer with powdered metal can possibly be as strong but it turns out that it's actually is stronger if you use the really high-end metal printers they actually create metal objects that are stronger than poured metal because there's no chance for things like air bubbles you know the natural imperfections it makes perfect sense because it's layer by layer laser precise exactly yeah and nasa um apparently uses 3d printers to print some of their like really sensitive um like engine turbine casings with like titanium or something like you can already print in steel and titanium with Mm -hmm. these with these printers um but the technology is still relatively new and like for example here's how like finicky and expensive the technology is there's one company in oakland that apparently has one of these really sophisticated mm-hmm. high-end metal printers and it w- was it something like 50 percent of the times they would try to run it and use it when they first got it they would fail yeah oh, and wow. it cost 12 grand for them to run it every time so so this is like the risk you're taking if you want to invest in this kind of business, like if you want to do 3D printing, is it's highly specialized. Right. So like even people who, you know, seemingly know what they're doing can still fuck up and like, you know, accidentally waste a whole batch of right. metal 3D printing, you know, in this chamber. So like what these companies like Sculptio do is when you place an, op- an order for an object... Uh, they wait till their whole queue is filled up and then they like try to make as many objects as they can at a single time in a single pass in the printer because apparently every time you run these kind of printers it's cost a lot of money so but everybody out there listening if you're curious about this technology just go check out um, the website Sculptio look up videos on YouTube of 3D printing manufacturing um, and look up companies like MakerBot is one of the the low end 3D printing companies. Um, they actually make a 3D printer that you can buy as a kit. Um, you can buy like just the the components that you need. And also, um, a lot of these 3D printers are based off of indie open source technology. The whole philosophy behind the 3D printing when it started and blew up was open source sharing kits. Um, even the the machines themselves are like completely open source. And we were talking about this to our friend and he was saying, you know, yes, it it has potentially revolutionary tendencies. Like this can completely revolutionize the planet. Uh, Humanity can progress so much going outside of like Mm -hmm. the dominion of, of corporations and stuff like that and just have so much power back in the hands of the people However, of course, with every technology like this, with every advent of something incredible and revolutionary, there's going to be corporate monopolies that are going to try to take over and, you know, patent elements within Mm -hmm. 3D printers and stuff like that. So hopefully we can stay one step ahead, just like we have with the internet for so long. I mean, and just like every tech savvy person has for the, I mean, when you consider cryptography and, you know, program people who are like expert programmers who aren't working for corporations i mean there are so many people out there in the world who are harnessing the power of the internet and and understanding technology in ways that i think a lot of corporations and big businesses are just too slow to adapt to you're right and that's the beautiful thing about 
this democratization of information is that it it basically inevitably puts more power into the hands of the individual no matter what no matter how much money is out there to fight that doesn't matter because an individual can cause a huge change and revolutionize things in a big way if they're smart enough and they tap into the right you know the key elements i mean even just for like you know like nsa spying the people who come up with these cryptography and encryption schemes they're not working for like major corporations most of the people who do this are actually like really like small groups of just really smart people who very much believe in the nature of privacy like so much right. so that even this guy who you interviewed who who ran his own sort of like almost like an anonymous email company he shut he it just down shut down the company yeah when the government tried to get his um records right and i mean so there are people out there who run companies who do this but i mean a lot of those companies who do that very much believe in the philosophy of privacy and, and the freedom of information and stuff so i think that's something that like it, it, as far as i see it is is almost in some ways more important than like the average political activism um thing because because technology harnessed in a certain way can like change human history forever you know and i don't know i mean I, i'm i think it's very exciting to see like i mean in, in the 3d printing thing even if a big corporation at this point decided to start releasing 3d printers it's not going to stop the fact that you can get a schematic online and you can make your own and you yeah. can make your own out of wood motors servos and an arduino you can make your own 3d printer essentially from going to radio shack and home depot and get printing up a fact on the internet it's like you can make your own computer yeah and it's even more it's even more democratizing computers with 3d printers because they're based on components that are like relatively inexpensive mm -hmm. readily available they're not like you know it's not like with a computer it's almost like you have to rely on two companies for your processor like intel or right amd you know for your processor but with with um 3d printers you just need wood motors servos screws um you know metal bolts i mean like it's it's pretty it's pretty amazing how open source the whole thing is at this point and and you know maybe it won't be at some point in time but when you look at other industries um that have started you know look at cell phones for example i mean cell phones weren't started with sort of the philosophy of being open source and putting the hands into the power of the you know the power of in the hands of the consumers but 3d printing has right, been right and that's a really important angle of it that i don't think can be ignored and i think that's in part why corporations have been staying out of it is because it's almost like it'd almost be like if a company as big as microsoft released an os for free before anybody any major corporation had a chance to release a commercial os and if that happened a lot of corporations would probably be like hmm you know this os is already out there it's highly popular it's free why would we even bother making our own commercial os to try to compete with something that's already been sort of taken over by a free you know free thing so and that's a really good thing i mean that was sort of always the dream of, of linux it never really achieved that <laughs> unfortunately mm -hmm. but um i mean i think 3d printing in a way has al already achieved that 
I mean, I just think it's the the most positive thing happening right now in terms of technological advancements. Like, what could really revolutionize things and democratize? Definitely. I mean, and even just for like the arts, um, it's huge. I mean, you can you can fabric an artist can fabricate things now that they would have been able, never right. been able to do. I mean, right. it opens an, up so many doors for Indian inventors, um, cra- people who sell arts and crafts, um, you know, uh, educational facilities, teaching kids, um, you know, like, like it's incredible. It is really incredible. And I mean, and that's kind of the, the thing I'm jealous about is that people who've been like, you know, learning how to 3d render and model, are like one step ahead of anybody right. with 3D printers because that's that's the key of how to basically fully utilize a technology. And that's, and that's where the learning curve is. So it's like the actual 3D printing component of it and understanding the technology, that's the easy part of it. But the hard part is can you design a 3D mm-hmm. model? You know, and they, and they even have all these kids programs online like Tinkercad and you know, and they're supposed to be for kids. And then when you use them, you're like, damn, this is actually really complicated. <laughs> like this is going to take some skill. Well, let's, um, let's, let's wrap up here. It's been a pleasure. Everyone donate to meteorites.org. If you want to see citizen journalism, keep growing, please contribute to the site. Um, we have monthly donations of five bucks a month, just the price of one Starbucks coffee. You can keep these broadcasts going. We can start maybe paying writers in the future if we get enough donations. I mean, there's a lot of things we can do with the site. Right now, I don't have that much time, but if you're a competent writer that needs no editing whatsoever, we are more than happy to get your submissions. However, I do not have time to edit amateur writers' work from now on. I mean, I'm sorry, but if you're highly competent and you're a great writer, please email me your submissions and we will be more than happy to publish them. Um, and we really encourage that. Uh, we really want to keep building that that movement, keeping citizen journalism alive, and we'll keep these broadcasts continuing. Um, check out Robbie's music at recordlabelrecords.org. My artwork, abbymartin.org. Up until through the month of January, I throw in a free postcard set and a small print with every order. So I'm really hooking people up there if you want to if you want to support independent artists. And um, I think we mentioned one other URL in here of the, the 3D printing company that we were talking about. It's called Sculptio. And uh, if you just want to have your mind blown, just go to that website and just check it out. You know, you, you even do a mock-up quote just to see what the hell it's capable of. Uh, Peace out, everyone. Keep up the pressure. Let's keep the unity stronger than the division.